0: This episode of Agents Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the One Shot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. Welcome everyone to Asians Represent. This is our two-year... Uh, if you're listening you know to the audio today is not a special day for audio because we've been doing this for a while but this is our two-year twitch anniversary um so first of all congratulations steve um, congratulations daniel congratulations Steve. I-, I wore this um toronto raptors jersey because it was one of the first things that i was wearing when we were streaming um i uh felt a little weird wearing it because it's it's like a Jeremy Lin jersey. And then Jeremy yeah. Lin's like, buy my NFTs. And then Simu Liu's like, no! <laughs>
1: Which, Simu Liu is the hero
0: that we chi versus the NFTs. And just like, literally, I was cackling. I was like, sitting on the couch. My partner um, was like on the couch. And I'm just like, <laughs> trying to contain my laughter. And trying to explain, hey. I uh, trying to explain. <laughs> why i think this is fucking hilarious and then you see jeremy Lynn come in and try to defend what it's all about and i'm just like oh my god this is so cringe um <laughs> but uh one of the things i dug up was uh, before we get even deeper is this early 2000s toronto raptors vince <laughs> carter, jersey. The
2: carter yes.
0: <laughs> yeah um my my mom found it and uh I also have my Mighty Ducks jerseys. Oh, you can see my partner in the back. She just came home. Um, I've got my uh, original Mighty Ducks kids jersey. Um, oh my god! But I could get it in time. I'll get it this weekend, and I'll share some pictures. Um, quack
3: quack quack quack
0: quack. quack. You know, Look, you know how many times like playing? Oh, I'm gonna just write this down at the agenda because I I haven't. I need to talk about this. Daniel's <laughs> baseball story. <laughs> plus the stairs. Um, I will, I'll talk about this. But um, one of the things before we get into, you know, talking about Turning Red, talking about sort of the, the criticisms of the film, um, whether they be valid or not, um, as well as just like our impressions and the, the sort of um, the themes that the film kind of sort of like tries to embody. I think it's super important to put out some like content warnings before we get into this. Um, Because we are going to dive into themes of like abuse, intergenerational trauma, violence. I may cry during this episode. Um, I cried during the movie, but I wanted to, you know, be real up front. I think it's really important for us to issue some content warnings for, you know, themes of, you know, like uh, abuse and intergenerational trauma and violence. Uh, Really important. Um, But that said... um, Steve, Kiana, Sonia, Michelle, thank you for joining me. Uh, I know we were all just like, oh, my God, turn it red. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, seeing a lot of the feedback that, you know, non-Asian folks had of the film and, you know, seeing that this is the two year anniversary of us starting on Twitch, I feel like. Doing one episode after the other week after week was a good idea because this is an important one. Um, For sure. I have set an agenda, and we could go, you know, in in various orders. And I think I'd love to start with first of all our impressions of turning red. Now, obviously, for folks who are watching this or listening, there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers. Um, so many, so many spoilers. So if you all haven't that. seen the movie yet, first of all, go watch the fucking movie. Uh, and then watch less slash listen to this afterwards, um, because this is a one of the most important movies to come out in recent memory. And it will remain one of the most important animated films and films about the Asian diaspora for many, many, many generations to come Um Turning Red is a film about, you know, a, a young girl <laughs> named mei who has this familial curse. And when she gets like emotional and worked up, she turns into this giant red panda that you could see in Kiana's background. Um, uh, <laughs> and there you go. And um, it's just kind of about the hijinks that kind of happen with this transformation and her desire to go see Four Town, a fictional boy band. Um, that is coming to Toronto. Um, On top of that, she has to deal with the fact that there are familial expectations, and she needs to lift this perceived curse that is upon her. Uh, It is a very heartwarming film about a Chinese-Canadian family um, kind of dealing with the sort of um, deeply embedded effects of collective trauma. Uh, and it is a fantastic film. What I'd love to do is kind of start with, well, what are your impressions of it? I mean, I know we all really fucking love it. Like, Michelle, <laughs> your your Twitter name. Um, I know we all really love it. But I would love to know from each of you, what made you fall in love with this movie? Because we've seen, like, Encanto was a movie that talked about the themes of intergenerational trauma. Um, we... We, we have you know Asian representation in Disney already in other films like Shang-Chi and uh, Star Wars Rogue One, Star Wars Rebels. We, we have Asian characters, but why are we so jazzed about Turning Red? Uh, I, I'd love to start with you, Michelle, because you're on, on the overlay. You are to my left. Like, What was it that made you just fall in love with this film? Or just like, uh, uh, I don't know, because we don't all have to love it.
1: <laughs> I mean, I I love the film. I don't think that's. I mean, my Twitter account name right now is Fort Ch- Town Stan, so I feel I feel like it's a pretty. Um, it's pretty obvious how I think my general conclusions are, uh, but and how I feel. But I think the thing that really clued me in was from the very beginning, when I immediately recognized that Maylin. Was absolutely embodying my experience as part of the Asian diaspora here in North America. The movie starts with a series of photos of her (laughs) childhood. Now, I know about y'all's parents, but my parents loved taking photos of everything. Oh my God, I know. I have so many photo albums. (laughs) I mean, they're not all with me right now. I think a lot of them are still in California, but like they just like the progression of growing up and then seeing her. In both traditional clothing, seeing her um, like bonding with her parents and things like that like that was just I, I immediately was like, boom, this is for me. I know exactly what late like this movie is on. And of course, the very beginning dialogue of um, that Malin talks about where Malin talks about like giving back to your parents because mm-hmm. they've. Made you? you they know? worked
3: their asses off to make like, sure that they you could have the life that they never like, had. <clears throat> so and- the least she can do is everything they ask.
1: And it's hard. And then they and then she goes like, "Well, that doesn't mean that you know you don't honor yourself as well." And so she start. I'm like, "Okay, interesting." And then just with like the cool little sassy walk down the street with her Tamagotchi and a flute case and whatnot. Um. But then you see later on, she has like a little bit of, she's still, you can tell she has a little bit of trouble with that, right? She's starting to break away with her parents. She's trying to figure out who she is um, outside of her family unit. And I think that was the immediate moment, uh, that whole scene, like that scene then transitioned to the intro scene, et cetera, to her parents. It was like, that was exactly my experience growing up to a lot to an uncanny degree um so i i just saw myself so easily within this character um within her experiences within her family yeah i also played the flute
2: like (laughs) 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 what
0: about what about you kiana
2: so you know how there was that very infamous critique about how critique i say in quotation marks was like this movie isn't it relatable. It's only relatable to Toronto Chinese Canadian girls and their friends. Hi, I'm the Toronto Chinese Canadian girl <laughs> and my friend. Kenna is Hello. so Hello. exhausting. I'm was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um there's there was uh, I think it was it was like in that moment where she's talking about herself at the very beginning of the movie, um, and she meets up with her friends. And I went, Oh, that was literally me and my friends. Age. Like after the movie. So I watched it twice on, on release date, like literally almost back to back. Um, and my parents watched it the following day. Uh, and I talked to them about it and they're like, yeah, this person, isn't that just, that was just like this person who you were friends with. And most of are like, yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> And so it's this all these bits and pieces of it where obviously I felt myself very reflected in it because, very specific. Um, obviously with a bit of a, a, a time shift difference in terms of like what the arrow was like. But there was so much she was just a she was just a person, right? But there were details there that just flushed her out that wasn't just like slapped on as just like <laughs> as like a, a afterthought. Um so she, this this movie was just like immediately charming outside of that reflectivity as well. And and having literally watched it twice like back to back um i was able to kind of just pick up and appreciate those things a lot more um yeah so i i don't know i i am that person (laughs) that's the movie apparently (laughs) it's like (laughs) like,
0: oh i feel seen i am seeing myself in media i'm
2: literally here this is literally me (laughs) Um, i know Yeah, like i had the very hyper and also, also Korean friends. So that was hilarious to be like, oh yep, that's the I had a tall white lanky friend as well. <laughs> it was, it was just like, and I had like the off goth friend. It was just it was just kinda wild to look at that friend group and go, I can pick exactly which of my friends in middle school these were. <laughs> that's this is wild. <laughs> so, yeah. That was just a fun, a fun thing. And yeah, and just it's just a, it's just a lovely story that's 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 all wrapped up into this.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know it's a fun thing being represented in media finally, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what, what and are and, I, that's,
2: uh, and honestly, that's just a bonus, right? Like I'm, mm-hmm. I I love the story and the characters and everything around it already, and then it's just like a cherry on top to be like, and this is also like being able to see my myself and 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 my experiences and. Uh, people like me represented in the movie which is kind of amazing
4: (laughs) yeah
0: what about you sonia
3: oh my gosh okay so i've seen this movie probably way too many times already i saw it with my sister uh the day it came out i watched it by myself i was like background noise while i worked and then i watched it again with my mom because i was like mom we're watching this right now (laughs) um but like it, it's it's has to do with like what, what's already been said. It's like that opening monologue But like me and my sister were listening to that open monologue and both of us went, Oh no. Because <laughs> like it like Maylin's experience is not one-to-one, but there are those common threads of like my parents are both immigrants. My dad is like, you know, mixed from a country in South America called Suriname and he studied in Holland before immigrating to the United States. My mom was born in the Philippines and my mom denies this, <laughs> but that part where she's, she's like, your parents came here to get and work super hard to like, make sure that you have the, a life that they never had. And you, the least you can do is everything that they said. And I looked over at my mom, like, yeah, that sounds familiar. She's like, I never said that. naning I'm like, you literally <laughs> they don't hammered need to say my it. Head. You literally hammered it in my head about like how, how far you had to walk in the Philippines to go to and from school and all that stuff. But, um, so, like, it, May's experience was, like, super relatable because I, too, was in that phase of, like, I wanted to please my parents, but also due to, un, like, undiagnosed ADD, suddenly me as the gifted child could no longer mask um, being super smart because my grades were starting to falter because of, a, like, I couldn't focus in school. So, kind of, like, the... Gifted child, perfect child expectations suddenly falling away, but also going through that phase where you're starting to come into your own and break away from your parents. And just very specifically what May Lynn went through with the drawings. Oh, my God. (laughs) The drawing scene is probably one of my favorite scenes because that is exactly what happened to me. My drawings looked like that. And like when I finally like got like a crush on a like uh, a crush on a guy for the first time, it was like, I guess he's okay and then stupid eyes and
0: oh
3: wait Uh fully rolling under the bed and then also the fact that I had the power to draw, like I was like
0: (laughs) It's literally that it's literally that meme.
3: Like like that like that meme is me back then. And me now, because after I watched Turning Red, I went back up to my room and started drawing shippy fan art of my OCs on my sick cake.
4: <laughs> That's amazing. That's so amazing. it was just
3: like, I love, like, there was so much of May that I saw myself, as well as her friend group, because um, for our viewers that saw on Twitter our post, if you saw the picture of me, I'm wearing a black shirt, band shirt for a band called The Used. And, uh, for me, I feel like I am a combination of Maylin Priya and Abby. Abby because I am hyperactive and cannot be stopped. <laughs> May for the obvious reasons. Like with Abby and she said, "Let's burn this place to the ground." I'm like, "Oh, look, it's me." <laughs> but like and then Priya specifically because I saw her, I'm like, "This is a girl that wants to be goth super bad." But her parents are not letting her dress that way And with me with that shirt for the use That was the closest I could get to being an emo Slash scene kid back in the day And like Until, like, I gradually just start buying more and more black shirts. And then uh, suddenly my mom's like, oh, no, what has happened? (laughs) But, like, yeah, like, so I just related to those characters. And then also just, like, from an art perspective, like, the art and the animation direction, the color direction, it's, like, so good. Like, the Sailor Moon influences, like, you find scattered throughout the background. Like, I finally get it when those film bros are like, oh, yes, that is a reference to Hitchcock. Now it's my turn, bitch. That's a (laughs) reference to Sailor
0: Moon. (laughs) That's a reference to Sailor Moon.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I turned! <heard.
1: laughs> um, uh, truly, like, like, truly
0: the director is, uh, <laughs> a, is a person of taste.
1: I see. You uh, are a like, man of culture like, as well. We've got like a like a little pipe that looks like the Sailor Moon Crescent <laughs> Wand Stick. it's <laughs> just bubbles coming out of it. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes,
0: Speaking of Sailor Moon, you know I used to take pottery classes with the voice actress who was Luna.
1: <gasps>
2: what? That's so cool! Yeah. Oh i I'm just going to drop this on us. Yeah, yeah. I know, guys. like this,
4: drop this name it. drop. <laughs>
2: god oh but, by um, the way in
4: they're
3: regards to the hotter? art yeah but also like just in regards to the art like the lighting <laughs> is so beautiful i love the use of colors like may's friend group they're like all comp they're actually all complementary colors on the color wheel so we have red blue uh, purple and yellow so they all complement each other but then there's also like the color language of like may and her mom are kind of going in opposite directions so may is red uh, and then every woman in the family who has like you know rejected the panda and locked that away. They're all dressed in green. The ceiling circle is in green. May's mom is on the verge of snapping at any given moment, so her red pendant is, like, the most prominent piece of, like, red panda jewelry you see throughout the series, and whereas, like, everybody else is a little bit more disguised and stuff, which just like, those little bits of color language is like, don't be she! Let me in your brain!
1: Yeah. <laughs> but she yeah. is. she's letting you in your brain. I know, yeah. and it's great!
3: I don't want to live there! <laughs>
1: So, and Jin Lee is like neutrals. <laughs> yes, Jin Lee is stabilizing out, I, neutrals. I did not
0: even think about the color. Like I thought about the different like scenes and like the backdrops, but I never thought about the characters and then yeah, how no. their interactions uh, mm. are reflected in that. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, the color theory of this movie is top notch. As is the soundtrack. I think I just design. spent all oh, the oh, John music design. First so of good. all, like oh, but-
0: Phineas. Oof. Phineas. <laughs> Cut.
1: Got- nice. They
3: nailed the '90s at boy band sound
1: oh, so yeah. well oh, yeah. and
3: also just like the addition of like
1: the new jack swing with the traditional chinese yeah the, 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 the fusion it of it all is yeah oh, Lupe oh, so granson oh, yeah, just- did such an amazing job he's also known for the mandalorian and for black panther so i'm not surprised he like managed to tie together um all of this in a beautiful respectful way mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
0: what about what about you steve
4: Yeah, this was an interesting movie for me. I liked it. I thought it was really, really good. But my childhood was nothing like any of the characters there. So one thing I really liked about the movie is that despite all the trials and tribulations, it's a very warm movie. So everyone just kind of has like heart. There's a lot going on. And despite all the pain and frustrations, all that kind of stuff, there's a very genuine heart there. My childhood growing up was much colder than that. And my childhood growing up was probably more of like the stereotypical, you know, Asian boy growing up where I didn't get to hang out with friends after school. I went directly home and did homework. I never went to a concert because I was told we could never afford that. Um, So I never had these like ideas of, you know, hang with your friends, making a plan, like making, making sure you can like go to this concert kind of stuff that would be completely out of the question. In addition, you know, my parents, we didn't watch TV together, so we don't get to share that moment. Uh, When it came to mealtimes, we didn't talk to each other. So. My childhood growing up is not like this at all. That said, the movie itself, I can see exactly what's, do- what's going on. And the word I would use to describe it is intentional. So I can feel the director putting in the intention behind certain things. And that allows me, as a viewer, to understand more about their perspective. And that's really, really important because I knew going into this that it probably wouldn't be my perspective, but I'm here to watch it to connect with however I can and then take that away and think about it more and then Mm -hmm. continue that conversation with other people who I love and respect kind of like we are right here Mm -hmm. yeah so that's one reason why I'm so happy we're doing this because I'm coming from this like it was a really cool movie here are the things like I really stood out for me I'd love (laughs) to know what kind of stood out for you where do we overlap and where don't we because I think that's really good for both of us Mm -hmm. yeah
0: I uh similar similar to you Steve So for context, we should have said this too. For context, I was born and raised in Toronto. I actually went to the same elementary school as Domi Shi. um, And it's actually a...
4: The name drops in this episode.
0: But the But the the school (laughs) is interesting because it's it's so far from where she grew up, like where she lives. But it's also not very close to Toronto's core. Like her experiences and all the Chinatown references are not of the central Chinatown in Toronto. It's actually Toronto's East Chinatown um, mm. that they reference a lot, especially in that streetcar scene in the beginning. That's, that's, that's East Chinatown and far and beyond. Um, so, for, so for me, my, when I watched it, very, very similar reaction to you, Steve. For me, it was like, on one end, it was like, oh, super cool. This is Toronto. I, I get that. On the other end, my initial reaction is honestly envy. That was oh, my yeah. initial reaction to this movie, and it was envy. Um, and I know my, my partner is actually watching the stream, which is why I delayed us starting a little bit so she could get home to watch it. Um, but like for for me, my reaction was envy because in this movie, all of the negative aspects of may's experience and all the negative things that they talk about in the film with the the trauma and all of that that was my childhood but none of the positive things that she had were a thing that i ever experienced like you steve right like i had like the overprotective parents couldn't hang out with friends um i don't have those childhood friends that i'm still in touch with i don't have any of that um literally my parents tried to control every aspect of my life so i wasn't able to experiment with fashion none of that um for me when we were talking about like one of the the questions was like well what was the the thing you remember most or cling to when you were like around that age for me <laughs> the the biggest thing that i had to like kind of distance myself from that sort of trauma that i was unknowingly experiencing was actually D. Um, so when you're talking about like your, your binders and all of your art and all of that, for me, it was like just making D&D characters that I might not ever get to play and drawing them.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So for me, the, what I think drew me to the movie was the fact that A, it was like a set in my hometown. Like it is very explicitly Toronto. The only mistake they make is that they don't say it properly. They say Toronto <laughs> the entire time. I get <laughs> it for accessibility purposes, but you got to have at least one character say Toronto. You, you gotta. Um, I, know, I 100% agree. Um, so it was like, okay, I, I get it. Um, on the other end, there were like two things that I would have changed in terms of like, if you wanted to really make it a, like a, a super deep cut nod to Toronto, it was you gotta say Toronto and you have to have an old Chinese guy speaking Toisan. Like you have to have like that that dialect in there. But I get it. For accessibility purposes, I great. It's a great sort of... Um, way of showing a city that you don't see a lot of in in media now what i think i love most about it was that a there's the sort of envy side and a really really well done encapsulation of the trauma i experienced as a kid but i think if i were to summarize it in one sentence the thing that makes turning red a fantastic film and one that is understandable to those who are not Chinese-Canadian kids who grew up in Toronto in the, in, the, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s is the fact that it's a film about the conversations that I wish I had with my parents when I was a kid. That is the movie to me, right? You don't have to be Chinese to understand that. I'm sure that there are so many people who are watching this or listening to us who have had childhood experiences that they wish they could have talked to their parents about or things that you wish you could have said when you were 12, but you didn't get to say until you were 30. Yeah. right.
3: Mm-hmm. Like, I think for me, so like, while I did, I mentioned in our chat um, that um, like they some, someone said in our chat, like maybe the warmer experiences to relate to more mixed folks. Hi, everybody. My name is Sonia. I was on the mixed race panel twice. Um, and as someone that is mixed, while I did have a lot of, buck wild awkward moments in my life largely that was because of school but at home my parents are both doctors my mom is a pediatrician and my dad is a gastroenterologist peds gi um who worked two hours away from our house no matter where we moved um so for the vast majority of my life my parents were largely busy working And if they were not working, they were – basically, when my ADD started kicking into high gear and suddenly my grades started dropping, that is when the control started – the the grip they had on me started really coming down. I couldn't hang out with friends. I only had to do a study – um, to try and get my grades back up because they did not understand what was happening. They thought that my friends were bad influences because my grades were dropping. So that bit where Ming is just like, oh, I'm not sure about that Miriam girl. And she's like, your mom doesn't like me? Like, that was <laughs> my mom with my friends. And just like going through that sort of like controlling aspect or just like my mom not letting me go to concerts. Like I was so close to going to a My Chemical Romance concert and I messed up on one thing the day of the concert. I didn't get a signature from one or... I, because I had ADD, my teachers were hardcore, like, monitoring me to make sure I got all my assignments. And I missed one assignment that week, and my teacher made a note of it. My parents saw that when I came home, and they did not let me go to the concert, even though I was supposed to go that night. <laughs> wow. Um, and then just, like, they they wouldn't let me hang out with friends after school, et cetera, et cetera. So I became extremely depressed and whatnot. But the thing is, my story reflects – is very similar to Maze, but in more of a – over the course of – from eighth grade to the end of high school because whereas May's entire path to healing happens within that movie my path to healing took many many years and astonishingly enough my parents when they finally saw that I was in desperate dire straits because I had reached that point where um, I was not safe to be alone by myself I was very you know mentally fraught with depression, anxiety, and just because undiagnosed ADD. And I could overhear my parents going like, we don't know what's wrong with her. She's never going to go anywhere in life. And it was very traumatizing. And I commend my parents because they finally admitted that something was wrong. And they actually let me go to therapy. To a better, to a even greater, which is huge, especially you know, because like the the stigma within the Asian community of like mental health, seeking mental health. Not a whole lot of people do that. Like I went to my voice teacher and was like, Yeah, I'm going to therapy. And she's like, Your parents are letting you go to therapy. <laughs>
0: yeah. We're gonna and, we we should definitely focus the conversation on on that. Because there is yeah. some there is some context to that, right? Yeah. There are cultural reasons why these conversations there are cultural aren't
3: reasons happening. Why. And like To a greater point, once I started going to therapy, my therapist was like, okay, Sonia, this is not all your fault. Your parents also need to come in too. My parents also went the extra mile to actually go to therapy with me to understand what they were doing and how they were harming me. So my experience is actually reflected in a little bit of May's experience in that Ming actually acknowledges that maybe she should let go of her daughter Maybe she should let her daughter be who she is. And like at the end of the film, I wanted to cry because when Ming let her daughter go out to karaoke with her friends, I saw myself at like finally 18 years old. And my mom is letting me finally walk out the door. It's like, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. Her It's like, okay, honey, be safe. Just call me when you're about to come back. I'm like, it happened. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, it was very, it's very cathartic in that, in that, you know, I had those similar experiences, but then had the cathars thankfully had the catharsis of actually seeing that through in my life.
1: Yeah, I, um, I, I just to briefly comment, um, I had a similar experience as well, where I, unlike, it was, I think, really important to me, watching this film to see a happy, Asian marriage to see a happy Asian diaspora. Oh my, God. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents uh, should not have been married <laughs> to each other to say, to, 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 put a fine point on it. And it was really rough growing up uh, with that kind of, with that kind of environment for many, many reasons. And I think when that happens, um, you know, you as the kid become kind of the only part of the family unit that can receive unconditional like love, especially when there's no other siblings, like I was the only kid. And so when both partners are looking at their kid being like, you need to be the summation, the culmination of everything that we expect from you. And you start realizing that these expectations, like I started realizing at a very young age that these expectations were in many ways coming from, something in there, like in their psyche, not like me. This isn't about me. This is about you. Um, and I wasn't really able to get any kind of closure with that until I think my late twenties, honestly, um, when they had both been at been long divorced and had since founded the partners. So it was, I think, just very striking to me to see a, a loving family that for all of its complications and, its generational divides um, still has a sense of empathy and love. And this is not just between Jin Jin and Ming, but also between Ming and her family as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like the moment when, spoiler, um, grandma's like, you know what? I'm I'm a panda out too. And then we get the epic like auntie grandma panda moment. Auntie squad. Auntie squad coming in. You know, it's like, you know, we're going to risk this again because we love you and we want you to be okay. And we know that this is what we're going to do in order to make that happen. So um, I think it was just really wonderful to portray that, especially given so much media representation of Asian families being like tiger mom or like, yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, this is not to say that, of course, you know, like I had grew up in a very abusive tiger Momish household, but it's, great that not every family is like that and it's great to see that it's not just this one thing i I made some kind of twitter comment about how this was done in like dire contrast to the strict story from magic the gathering last year um in that story you know we we have the tiger parent kind of just running wild (laughs) that whole trope whereas here we are actively deconstructing that we are actively meeting that we are taking it down Mm -hmm. So, Like, Ming is still a tiger mom, but she's a
3: tiger mom that we can understand the motivations behind why she's doing what she's doing. And, like, we see the reasons why she's kind of in that tiger mom aspect, just, like, through the revelation of her own personal generational trauma and whatnot. Yeah,
1: I mean, to that extent, I feel like she just becomes more of an overprotective immigrant mom, more than, like, the the actual, the tiger mom that, I guess, referring strictly to, like the book oh
3: the yeah talk.
4: okay then that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah i mean well,
3: speaking of uh, me sandra oh voice acting
0: yeah plus. Hey, everybody 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 in that movie james hong first of all come on like
2: yeah i was like hey, I that path was so yeah, yeah fuck, fucking That's legend it was fucking ridiculous legend. it's true um, for, and for, also all like appropriate racially for who they were like we didn't have any weird voice acting like, as much as we normally do. of like, hi, yeah. here's an Asian person voiced by a, a white here's person. Here's your South uh, honestly, Asian I...
3: representation with one South Asian voice actor. <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: honestly just glad that they didn't put Aquafina in the movie. Let's be honest. Yeah. <gasps> um, for for yeah. me, it was like, it's interesting hearing your, your story, Sonia, because mine is like the exact opposite. Like, mm-hmm. I had to endure... So much growing up. Um, I was like, first of all, like undiagnosed ADHD when I was a kid. I did not, and dyslexia. I did not succeed in school until I was in university. I had a great aid teacher who straight up told my parents in front of me that she didn't think I was going to go to high school. Right? I've had one good teacher uh, before I got to university. And when I was a kid, you know, I'm the older brother, right? I am the, all the Asians are going to get this. I am the first son's first Mm -hmm. son.
1: Oh, Oh, no. Right. So like, Oh no. (laughs)
0: Like this shit is rough. So not only do I have undiagnosed ADHD and dyslexia as a kid, I also have an OCD, which I get from my mom. Um, now, at the same time, I'm not doing well at school. I have a ton of energy. I get into fights. I go to the office all the time, right? It is like awful, awful. Like, just could not. And my parents' solution was not to talk about it or to see mm-hmm. why, was to be like, you know what? We're just going to fill Daniel's life with more shit.
3: Yeah, because if we even fill it every single second of the day, it's got to burn off it's his energy. It's got to burn so it ow. off.
0: So my, well, you my, don't
3: have
1: time to get in trouble.
0: Exactly. You don't have time to get in yeah. trouble. Or as my dad says, you have no time to go hang out in the mall. So mm. what my parents did was, like, first they were like, the Canadian thing, we're going to put you in hockey, right? Um, <laughs> and then we're going to pull you from hockey, and then you're going to do figure skating so that when you go back to hockey, you'll be better.
1: Wait, what? You were... You, were, you, you
0: did figure skating? skating? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I am could skate.
1: <laughs> Daniel's Dan just, like, dropping all um, these bombs. Like, did, oh, we're good, and then, But
0: then my dad's like, oh, I don't like – and this is actually a really good thing that my dad did. Kudos to, to my dad. Uh, he said, I don't like, like, the culture of hockey parents and parents <laughs> yeah. who take their kids to hockey. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you in, like, the whitest sport ever, competitive swimming. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to put you in competitive swimming – and literally up until grade 12, my, my life, my day consisted of getting up at five o'clock. My dad drives me to the pool. My brother, too. We train. I walk to school with a backpack, a backpack, and my gear. I walk to school. Go to school. I'm there before everyone else, right? I eat breakfast at school. I do school. I walk back to the pool after school and do my homework in the bleachers. I train again, and then my dad picks me up. I go home and I eat dinner again, finish homework, go to sleep. That was my life Mm -hmm. Um, for most of my childhood, right? Um, And I didn't have a lot of Asian friends because of this because the sport at the time, super white. Um, And so for me, the sort of respite from this I got was when I started working in high school. Like getting a job meant I didn't have to be around the things my parents wanted me to do. Yet I was
1: your freedom. It was get, literally
0: getting a job was my freedom. And it was like, it was the one thing I could control in my life. And it was me getting a summer job at the museum and then working there on the weekends. And it meant I didn't have to train on the weekends. It meant I can actually go and do something I liked. Um, I also you know happen to have like a life threatening nut allergy, so when you have an Asian tiger mom and there is a thing that could kill her her son, well, good luck being able to do things um uh and for me, it was like not doing well in school meant constantly being the point of negative comparison to like my younger brother mm-hmm. um who, in the, for this point of comparison, is is more because what is neurotypical, right, um, is more conventionally neurotypical in the eyes of my parents um, than me, and so I have to deal with always being the person who fucks up everything. Like, started reading late. My parents will go around and be like, "It." I have heard my mother say this. It's like, "It." I am so amazed that daniel got into a phd program because you know he didn't know how to read until he was in grade two and would just like just like throw this stuff out there Mom, like i that was by
4: compliment
0: that was by childhood or like i mean maybe steve you could relate to this bamboo feather duster like oh, yeah. bamboo feather duster was like a big part of my childhood right i maybe maybe the other asians here um maybe not kiana because you're kind of the, the baby in this call um, <laughs> but you know Anyone who's over thirty, the bamboo feather duster was a big thing for me. Uh, I actually wrote this down because at the beginning of the the episode, I said Daniel's baseball story and stairs. So I did really well in sports, and one of the things was my dad wanted me to to get good at sports, not because he wanted me to um, actually be a professional athlete, because. Nobody's going to do that, I say, as I wear it, like a Jeremy Lin jersey. Um, <laughs> but because my dad wanted me to blend in more, and he saw sports as a way of me taking on more whiteness. Mm. Um, my parents' house – so uh, my parents also – I grew up in a really white neighborhood. Um, so for those in Toronto, I grew up in High Park. It's like <laughs> super white neighborhood. And across from my parents' house is um, – I don't want to, like, dox my parents. <laughs> Across <laughs> my parents' house, there was, another, there was another home, and they have this, like, sort of, like, concrete staircase. And my dad used to do this thing where he used to – I used to have – he used to give me a tennis ball, and I used to have to throw the ball and hit the steps in order, up and then down. And I couldn't come in until I did it in order. And if I missed, I'd have to start again. And so I had to do this. This was my childhood. Um, it was like, oh, you want to learn how to you know catch a ball better? We well, have to learn how to dodge them, and they'll just whip balls at me. Yeah. Oh
1: my god. I had I had yeah.
0: the stereotypical Asian childhood, except <clears throat> I am not the overachieving Asian. So for me, again, the reason why turning red resonated with me was because it's what I actually fantasized having. Right? It's like. I couldn't see anything other than having this kind of familial relationship, but at least I could be good at things that my parents would be proud of. So 12 year old Daniel is like, Malin is, is living the life that I would have wanted and the traumas that she has to deal with. That's just part of the deal that I would get. Right. And that's kind of where I want to segue into. And it's this idea of intergenerational trauma, Like, what is that? How do we all perceive that? Because intergenerational trauma, like, affects communities very differently. And it's not an exclusively Asian thing, as we've seen with the incredible film that is Encanto. When I say intergenerational trauma, like, what do you folks think?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, just thank you for sharing, (laughs) David. No worries.
0: you, You know how I'm just like, now I'm just like hardwired to turn my trauma into a segue? Um, well, mood you been
2: podcasting don't too That's a thing. Um, but that's, like, that's how I you, think
0: think you
2: spot, podcasters. That something we need to address. <laughs> <laughs> and now for today's sponsor, <laughs> Hello Fresh. <laughs> but
4: that if is, you ever what, you're at a party actually, and, mean, and someone what? turns like, their trauma into like a story, you can be like, You podcast, don't podcast, you? Don't well, you know what? Well, actually, Steve, we had a conversation
0: about taking on a potential sponsor for the next couple episodes, and and we were like, "No, is it HelloFresh? No, it, it wasn't HelloFresh. Was Hello we were friend. talking about this. We yes. were talking about this, and we said no, no to sponsors.' <laughs> Thank you, patrons. Oh my God, um, <laughs> let's let's Zuno, You doing okay? I'm, go, go, I'm, go, go. I'm okay. I'm okay. You, you, you good? You know, you know good? how you like deflect with with comedy? This is yeah. Yeah, um, I'm gonna
2: be like, we're just gonna take the podcaster dial but, but and, let's like, us it down a I bit. don't want to.
0: <laughs> I do want to dive into this intergenerational trauma thing. I like." I have a definition in my head and my notes of, of what it is, but I would love to know what kind of comes to your mind when you, when you hear those, those words, intergenerational trauma, because it is a core theme of turning red. Like Steve, you, I, I want to know what you think.
4: Yeah. I mean, let's, let's go back to like the bamboo feather duster and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk. So about what that. we're talking about is we're talking about hitting your children. Um, So when Daniel said bamboo feather duster, it didn't connect with me because my parents used their hands to hit me. Um, But I understand because talking to other Asian uh, boys, especially um, that's what was going on. And then of course for uh, girls and all children, there are various ways that this might affect your childhood. So when it comes to intergenerational trauma, I remember sitting around thinking, you know, why are they hitting me? But why is it not okay if I hit someone my age at school and Part of like that realization, like a, a a milestone moment for me, was like, oh, it's because their parents hit them. So parents are allowed to hit people. People aren't allowed to hit other people unless they have that relationship. Which saying out loud, super fucked up. But also, you know, that is kind of what's going on. So when intergenerational trauma comes up, what I think about is traditions. I'll call them rituals, acts. That perpetuate through each generation, and it creates this kind of bonded experience, for better or oftentimes worse. So when I think of intergenerational drama, I'm thinking of like those actions permeating through the generations, and then what I can do is I can think about it and and dis- and discover how I want to engage with it moving forward.
0: Yeah, and you know, once we kind of go through everybody and kind of get our collective sort of definition of it, I, I would love to talk about examples within the film and in in real life. They don't necessarily have to be our own personal experiences of this to provide some context to folks. But well, what about the rest of you? When we say intergenerational trauma, what do we mean by that? Can I?
1: Think you should, oh, yeah, you go sure. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so, when someone experiences trauma, that does change them as a person in terms of how they perceive the world, how they perceive actions, how they, and because they have received harm of some form and long lasting impactful harm. Um, And if it's not appropriately addressed or if it's not worked through um, in a specific way that is able to get them to heal from that trauma uh, and that harm, they will, uh, in their next generation, will change how they act and how they approach things and can then cycle that cycle a form of, of trauma and harm to their children or to the next generation um so that's generally how i perceive it, this idea and because the trauma is not exactly the same all the time um it often involves from generation to generation what that uh ends up looking like and what it ends up uh how I say, how it comes across and what it manifests as for each generation. But it does mean that it's, it's something that's passed down. And it's because there's somewhere along the line, there was a root harm that happened that wasn't addressed. And then it just gets continued forward until somewhere along the line, like for in the movie, they, they address it. Like they go, hey, okay, we need to stop this. We need to look at this and go backwards. Um, so that's that's generally where I see intergen and intergenerational usually family to family, usually parent to child, but not necessarily. Sometimes it's grandparents to grandchildren, sometimes it's, you know, uh, a little even more tangential than that, but that's generally what we're talking about here. Um, And and can even be expanded out to communities. So, like, you know, this generation of a community uh, and then, you know, the next generation, but they're not even directly related, but there's still a shared bond there, uh, where, again, where something, a trauma that happened that was not resolved, Get passed down and involved so uh, each each phase of uh, this communities or families uh, lifetime and family tree. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. What about the rest of you, Sonia, Michelle?
2: Um, I mean,
1: I for me, it seems a lot after watching and experiencing general tra- uh, generational trauma. At the end of the day, I think it really boils down to. What I would almost describe as tos- like toxic empathy, almost, in the sense that we what we are inheriting from previous generations is a series of deep, deep rooted negative emotions that somehow become a part of our identity as a culture, as individuals, and without whose presence we can no longer define ourselves in a way. And this does generally come, like Kenna said, from some kind of past um, incident that may have happened. And sometimes it can, sometimes it isn't necessarily toxic, but oftentimes it is. Like one of the things I thought of, for example, was, um, I mean, of course we all talk about the immigrant story, but the first thing that came to my mind, actually, when we were talking about this was, uh, if anyone has seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, <laughs> um, there is a scene where Rachel goes back to, I think, a bar mitzvah, and then they all sing the song with Pia LaPone, and it's like, remember that we suffered. And it's all about, like, the um, Jewish diasporic, like, entire feeling of just, like, remember that our people suffered during the Holocaust, like, in the, the Torah. Like, it is part of our heritage as people is part of who we are. And that's just one example. And I'm certainly not qualified to say like how that affects um, folks within Jewish culture. But oftentimes in, this, in the examples of Encanto and Turning Red, we can see how we repeat these patterns. We We, we basically follow almost the same dance form in order to elicit the same point of view and the same emotions in another person so that we can grow together we can glom on together in this katamari of trauma
0: oof. Oof. that's a that's a surprisingly powerful image
1: yeah yeah it's like we i am forcing you to experience this so you know how i feel
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah it's a lesson
3: Learn from this
0: what, what about you Sonia do you have anything to add to that one
3: honestly y'all covered it like um, it is like what everyone in this this um, group has said and just for me and my personal experience because I didn't have the term intergenerational trauma for a very long time until you know I started reading up a bit on it more and then just seeing the rip it's it, it literally is just like that beginning of like that root is the first pebble that drops in a pond and then it just ripples out. And if there's nothing to stop it, it will just keep going and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And like, it's just something that I have particularly seen with like my mom's side of the family. Like me and my family have actually like, again, I am probably like the oddball of the Asian community. In which case my parents went to therapy, we went get help and all that stuff. We have actually taken a lot of steps to actively say, no, we're not going to be doing this again because it's hurt people in the past. We can't do this. We have to make it stop because I've seen how it's hurt my mom. I've seen it starting to repeat itself with like extended family members and whatnot. And like, yeah, I honestly, I don't have much to add except for just my own personal experience. And just like, it's kind of wild to be, it's like Plato's Allegory of the Cave where, the shadows on the wall are one thing for so long. And then when you step out of the cave and you realize what the shadows are, you can't see it the same way again. That's how it was for me with intergenerational trauma, where I just thought this was just kind of like, this is just how it is. Right. And then I learned the term and I'm like, Oh wait. Yeah. Hang on a second. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's so like part of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think realize what it is. I
0: think one of the, the most important aspects of the movie is that it is a great way for, A, parents and like adults to kind of understand what intergenerational trauma is, but also a great way for parents and kids to kind of have a conversation about it. I think in terms of what everyone said, um, intergenerational trauma is a a very universal theme of the movie. It is one that anyone can relate to. Anyone that can relate to. Actually, the term intergenerational trauma uh, actually arose from psychologists who studied the children of Holocaust survivors. Um, but uh, in terms of like kind of summarizing everything, um, in my notes, I wrote that intergenerational trauma is is trauma that's passed down from those who directly experience it to subsequent generations. Like Kiana said, this could start with sort of an individual experience uh, or events that affect multiple family members, such as like siblings. Or even like the collective trauma of a larger community, like a cultural group or a population. Um, For instance, the Jewish community during the Second World War or the Chinese community during the Second World War. Uh, A great great example from my childhood of this sort of intergenerational trauma that I was able to deflect was the fact that my grandparents would be like, no Japanese people. Right. Um, And I was like, no, that's wrong. But one aspect of intergenerational trauma is how deeply embedded it becomes in our lives. It becomes something that you accept, right? Like I said, like, yo, I want May's life because she has friends, she has some freedom, her parents are proud of her achievements. And in that, I didn't even say, oh yeah, she's got to deal with all this trauma because I'm like, yeah, that's just kind of a part of my life, right? Because how deeply embedded it becomes in, you know, families and these family trees, this manifests in learned behaviors in in your responses to this kind of abuse. Right. And that said, it just becomes incredibly difficult to acknowledge until you're like you said, Sonia until you wait, 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 this is a thing until you actually read (laughs) into this being a thing. Right. Yeah. Oh, wait, like, and in, Uh, In Turning Red, there is a thing that kind of prevents that acknowledgement from happening. Because remember, these things don't exist in a vacuum, right? They exist in this sort of like intersection of like culture, psychology, different family dynamics, different levels of family. And one that is very, very obvious in this movie, if you are Chinese, is the concept of face and the culture of silence, in Chinese culture, but also wider Asian cultures when, when we're talking about the culture of silence, right? Um, because the culture of silence and the fact that you don't talk about your trauma and you don't talk about your mental health and where someone like you, Sonia says, hey, I had an atypical Asian experience because we went to therapy, right? <laughs> Me here being like, like, I've gone to therapy myself, uh, but I, no way am I ever gonna be able to get my parents to go or even articulate what that is. Um, Some things that I've talked to you folks about that I won't talk about on air, but I got a a diagnosis recently and I talked about it to my parents thinking that it would bring up positive conversation. I tried to turning red my life, um, Mm -hmm. but just the end of turning red. Um, And my parents blamed me for it. This was like six months ago. Um, So in Chinese culture, we have multiple intersecting social concepts, um, the most important of which are called um, mianzi, face, and lian, which is kind of uh, a related term to face that represents your personal integrity and your moral character, right? So these all tie into another thing that is present in many cultures called filial piety, the behaviors, the intentionality behind your actions that are related to respect and being good to one's parent, it's related to things like Confucianism and things like that for Chinese people. Face is a very distinct part of Chinese culture, and it is very clearly on display in this movie. So if you didn't listen to episode 37 of Asians Represent, where we talked about this um, with some amazing guests, um, Face is basically a representation of the positive image of yourself. Malin talks about this in the beginning of the movie. I get straight A's. I'm good at all of this stuff. But underneath it all, there's this sort of darkness that she hides, right? Her mother is this very proud tiger mom. But underneath it all, she was hurt because of the way she had harmed her mother, right? Um... But they don't talk about this because your face is that image that you have. It's this, it's almost like your identity. It's your status, your power, your reputation. It's what you can wield against other people. It's what you cultivate, right? The more face you have, the more seriously and respectfully people treat you. Um. Now, in turning red, for those of you who are listening or watching or even in the the zoom call here um, who have never heard of the term face could probably see how this can kind of drive a lot of social interactions for Chinese people within and between families or within you know or between individuals. right A lot of people don't like to ask for help. Steve, you of all people know I'm terrible at it. I'm <laughs> yeah, terrible I at do. it um and you you check me for it all the time and i appreciate it um but not everybody has like a steve in their life right everyone should everyone have a steve. should have a steve um a speak, steve
4: speaking, of
1: sponsor, steve,
0: right? speaking of our new sponsor speaking of our new sponsor the <laughs> wizard school that is steve <laughs> hello steve, <laughs> steve.
1: Hello, hello, steve. steve.
0: Oh. every <laughs> week hello steve Just delivers
1: a wizard <laughs> Every week, Hello Steve delivers a new fresh wizard to your doorstep, able to help you help yourself. I
0: uh, would we'll just imagine an app and it's just, it's just it's 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 called Hello Steve, and you just go, Hello Steve, and it just tells you to be like, I love you. Or it's like <laughs> Or like What's the tension in your life right now? I feel like it's just an app instead of this Or it's
3: just a recording of Steve like, hey, go to bed.
0: Yeah, hey <laughs>
1: For Hello Steve Why are you Deluxe, tweeting you at two actual... <laughs> For the Hello Steve Deluxe one, you get an actual Steve sent to your doorstep <laughs> for free hugs every day.
4: It's so funny because, like, a couple days ago, I literally sent a tweet to someone's like, "Why are you tweeting right now?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like,
0: you, you know, not everyone has the ability to, to kind of check you on on this thing, and so uh, a key part of this movie is how May struggles with her own individuality. It's also this sort of clash between Western and Eastern values, Western and Chinese values, how she wants to be more individual. She wants to just kind of go out and spend time with friends or she wants to do things that cost money. Um, Yeah. But then there's this idea of, I have to be good to my parents. I have to respect them because they gave me everything.
3: Yep. and I, like how you see that in the film. How much of a hold that has on her. Like Her mom's approval is so important that when the time comes and her friends are confronted by her mom who has this perfect little image of her precious Mei Mei. She's like, how dare you do this to my daughter and, may- and make her exploit the, the panda and she would never do such a thing. And her friends are like, Mei, help! And,
0: and then she turns on her she friends.
3: Can't, she can't do it because that sense of filial piety has such a vice grip on her that the idea of betraying her mom is even at the cost of
1: like abandoning her friends she can't do it yeah it's it's a family thing it's a yeah. family thing so hard and it's like it it's not just filial piety. she loves her she loves her mom she loves her, yeah. mom. She loves her yeah. mom like that i think I love that that is never in question the entire yeah. movie. Yeah. She just,
0: yeah. she just it's- wants everything to be better for both of them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, right. the whole, the whole movie is that it's, it's, it's that it's a very loving family, which is absolutely wild to see in any form of, of right. Western media to show an Asian family that so deeply <laughs> loves itself and each other. Uh, that's like, that's actually more reflective. Like I'm, a bit of an oddball here where I'm second, one and a half second generation. Um, So I'm a little more removed from the, from the immigrant uh, experience. Um, And also, you know, I, my family, uh, because they grew up, you know, in Canada, um, I had a pretty open childhood, a lot of like, not a lot of restrictions, but even then, like I still had the, 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 even set upon myself expectations of having to do well and having to have my family's approval. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's so important to, to this movie because we can see like it's not just about the worst forms of inter- intergenerational trauma, it's also how uh, even like going forward, uh, culture uh, cultural expectations and traditions don't remain uh, and mix with with um with uh, western expectations uh and the such as well um and it's also super interesting to look at it because so so many of my uh, asian friends at the time were like you I I was the very non-stereotypical asian I was very into the arts I was super into english and writing I did really well in them. Uh, I even did percussion instead of flute or any of the other typical instruments. Wow. Uh, hey. uh, uh, sorry, just to correct my...
4: you, piano counts as percussion. So
2: Yeah, piano does count as percussion. <laughs> <so> <laughs> anyway. I, know, like, I, I was I was the <laughs> Go get <girl>. my typical. <laughs> I
1: never <laughs> yeah. did
4: band.
2: Yeah, no, I I was a band kid and I was a marching band kid and I was but all of the more typical like first generation fans I had around me were like uh, or rather, not my friends. I, I went to a very uh, Asian and white school, and I was constantly told that I was a bad Asian. <laughs> uh, oh.
1: I
0: was... hey, you were you, called, were you called a banana?
2: Yep, called a banana. Ah, I was called a, a banana. Yeah,
1: yeah, Tinky banana. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I'm Here's like...
1: Pin sword.
2: No, stop it with that's... the banana <laughs> comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like this... intergenerational trauma like I can I can still look at my own family and go yeah like there is some stuff there that that has carried into like how I exist in my life and all that stuff particularly my high expectation for how to do stuff not asking for help etc um but also uh intergenerational trauma of people around me affects me as well like the idea of like Hello. <laughs> you have to be a very specific kind of person to be a real Asian. <laughs> and I'm like, it's it- H- <laughs> yeah. so that's-, that's something I had to I had to experience and live with and 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 grow into. I mean, let's not even talk uh, about
0: the whole like the-, the themes that were discussed in the mixed race episodes as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> then so yeah, so um having May, having to and 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 I think there's also that very universal theme of well of learning how your parents are just people as well um and as you kind of grow into this messier relationship with your parents um as you understand them as people and you understand yourself as a person both in relation to them and as an individual um that's so much of the arc in the story is maybe like you know i'm my own person i'm also my mom's daughter um and Seven her mom being like
3: Yeah, like go (laughs) go
2: far. My
3: favorite quote of the movie, just because also has like such a cool visual for me, is like, "I'm my own person, but some of her moves are also my moves," and just like, I it's very then the reason why that saw so, that, that line sticks in my head so much is because because I noticed on my second viewing of the movie, there's that line, and then there's the scene where May's mom goes ape shit in the Daisy Mart, <laughs> and yeah. they're on their way home, and May's just very quiet in the car. And she's like, "I'm fine, I'm fine." And her mom reaches over, brushes her hair, tucks it behind her ear, and touches her shoulder. In the scene where May is in that like spiritual realm where you know you're about oh, to, you can oh. reject the panda and not or not, she finds. Ming as a teenager crying, and she does I the same exact crying. move where she brushes her hair out of her mom's face and touches her shoulder. So I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so,
0: "Oh, so that was that exact moment when I paused the movie." I turned to my partner and I said, "I'm going to cry," and <laughs> she, she looked at me. Was like, "What?" And then I started bawling, like like uncontrollably. Saw it was. Ugly, like I think I, 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 think I cried for like yeah. ten minutes, fifteen minutes. I, I
1: was, yeah, I like I had so at this point, like my so my partner had been sitting next to me, and then I grabbed his head and he was <laughs> like next to mine, and then I had like a StarDew chicken plush in the other hand, no, and then I had, no, I had my cat in the other arm, and I was just like, <laughs> you just need and, someone to hold, yeah. <laughs> just, uh,
0: and it was that just, moment when I was uh, like, that's the realization that. I want to have. Now, I've talked a lot about like my own trauma. And obviously, you know, with you know things like discussions of this, I do want to bring out some positive resolutions. One of the best things that ever happened to me and my family was actually the pandemic. Um, because I'm not, I would never really like super close to my family. And the pandemic actually brought us closer together. It was like, we're going to do everything that we can to spend time together because we don't know if you know if if something could happen the things that were important to us things like money status you know power all of that shit are unimportant now because well that doesn't stop a virus right so we got closer because of the pandemic like I call my mom every day to, to check on them, right? Um, my partner and I go to, go to dinner with them every Sunday or every Saturday, literally going, going to dinner tomorrow for my dad's birthday. And you best know I'm picking up kanji queen for the Toronto Chinese people. Um, <laughs> best know I'm picking up kanji queen for him. Um, we're better off now because our priorities have shifted right? We don't talk about money or things like that anymore. We talk about, are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you doing well? I literally, um, we started playing D&D, like in 2020. And my parents kind of understood what was going on. They still don't get it, but they kind of respect it now. Um, I told my dad about Candlekeep and I remember exactly where we were driving. Um, we were on Parkside going towards the lakeshore, right where the park is. There's a little bridge on the highway. And I told, I told my dad that the book was out and it was a New York Times bestseller. And he said, I'm proud of you. And I actually saw a TikTok and they were like, you know what's the most inaccurate part of Shang-Chi? When his mom tells him he's <laughs> proud of it when he's a kid. Um, but that was the first time that I can recall my dad ever telling me he was proud of me for something that I did for myself. Not something that I did for them. And so while I have decades of trauma to ha- like unpack and deal with, I'm working on it right? And I can acknowledge it now. And with Turning Red, I have a tool to which I can say, hey, let's talk about this movie, right? Now, there was some pushback to this movie when it came out, because a lot of people, particularly a reviewer named Sean O'Connell, who said, this movie is not good, because I, a white man, cannot relate to it
1: <laughs>
0: and one of the uh we have lots of questions for patrons so i want to make sure we focus on them um but all right I'm, I'm
4: calm <laughs> I, I, oh, I'm by the way so i, I wish i wish he had said as a white man because it would have actually shown more it would have actually
1: literally exactly he
0: could have just yeah. said as a white man i can't relate to this but I could see why people like it.
2: No, like, are your
3: empathy muscles just that yeah. not and stretched? He went
2: like, It is exhausting to watch this movie. Like sure I'm so car. sorry.
3: You cannot watch a girl go through magical panda puberty and <laughs> empathize with a large po- population that goes through puberty and does this shit, minus the panda. You cannot empathize with that. But for some reason, you can empathize with a car that has a face. You can
1: empathize with a fish. You can with a nice fish that
3: loses his entire family,
2: or garbage like, robot, it's, or it's a too. It's robot. so niche, or or how so about niche? A, a, a robot, yes, yeah, like a rat that, like, that wants to become a. a rat, you like can a, believe, a yeah. 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 You know. can believe
3: that the greatest chef in Paris is a rat piloting a scrawny, redheaded white boy, <laughs> like he's an
0: even <laughs> we, we, we first of all talk about how the rat <laughs> has an American accent, but is a French rat. Yeah,
1: let's
0: <laughs> talk about that. <laughs>
1: Why everyone has an American everyone has an American accent except like three characters. Yeah, yeah. Like
3: it's too niche and like so so the the story of an old man and a chubby Chinese boy and a talking dog taking off in a flying house to South America is not niche.
0: So <laughs> one one of the questions that our, our patrons brought up was um and uh, is that you know we talk about the perception that turning red is. A weak Pixar movie because it is not a universal story.
3: I'm offended.
0: <laughs> now, obviously, like, that is what Sean O'Connell, this writer, wrote in his original, now retracted review. Um, I will drop a link because the internet is forever to the original review <laughs> yes. in our chat. So you, live, uh, you folks mistakes, can read it. Mr. Um, if you're listening to the audio... Um, Patreon will have show notes on all of this stuff about intergenerational trauma and everything like that. But in his review, he basically said, "Hey, I can't relate to this. This movie is not for me. Therefore, this movie is not good." Um, Yeah, and it was very much a symptom of how a lot of the critics that we rely on to learn about films are all white dudes. Um, Oh yeah, and that this movie, white dudes
3: with, like, sorry, the white dudes with that are so used to being catered to them and their experience that there is no desire to be like, Oh, this movie is not for me, but I can see how other people. Yeah. Or
0: like all the white critics who are like, Oh, all these, all the, the cast members of squid game, how are you enjoying your newfound celebrity? Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Spielberg
3: (sighs) saying that squid games are like unknown. I'm like, excuse me. Do you, do you not know who
2: this is?
0: Yeah. Like, come on. But like it, for me, I, I think the fir- the first sort of objective response is there are many universal themes in Turning Red. Um, the idea that your parents are people too. They are flawed and that's part of life. That's not a Chinese thing. That's not a Chinese yeah, Canadian thing. That's not a and, Toronto thing.
2: Yeah. like Growing mm-hmm. up is a very... This is a very... If you look down at at this whole thing, this is a very typical coming-of-age story. Like, I don't even yeah. really know how oh, how yeah. more typical you can get of the, the general arc of, like, child and parents, you know, they, they love each other, but child wants to be more independent and more have their own life. Oh, no, they're gonna have conflict about it. Oh, they're gonna resolve, and she's gonna grow up, and so is her parents. And look at how, like, that is the most fucking stereotypical coming-of-age story arc you could ever come up with like yeah. see mm-hmm. it everywhere you see it in in tons of other movies as well they have um, no problem
3: when it comes to a boy and their dad going through that kind of emotional arc but the yeah. second that it's with the mom and the daughter they're like i don't know how to relate and god
1: to forbid it'll be poc like freaky friday came out <laughs> yeah with, yeah. with- yeah, oh, yeah, a while that's back with right. Jamie Lee Curtis and, what was it, Lindsay Lohan? Lindsay Lohan. Yes. Lindsay L- yeah, I mean, that came out a while back and, like, people weren't up in arms and now it's like, oh, because it's an Asian mom and an Asian daughter. Um, and, the, yeah. Uh, also, in the uncomfortable
3: uh, dressing, it's not uncomfortable because we need to talk about it. They're talking about puberty and having a period. I mean, that's a whole
0: other thing, right? I mean, one Wings. one thing is, like... things. Yeah. Options! For, first of all, the... Before we get into the puberty thing, because I do want to talk about that, because there is a very relevant like, uh, question from a, one of our patrons on this. Um, the, one of the things that I kind of have thought about when I've been looking at, because I, I read a whole bunch of reviews that were clearly not by, written by Asian people. And it's that these characters don't fit into their perceptions of how Asian people should be depicted in media.
2: Boy howdy, yep. Oh boy right.
0: <laughs> The same people who are like, oh, I can't relate to turning red, or the same people who are like, yo, you know what movie was sick? Shang-Chi. How the fuck can you relate to Shang-Chi more than, than Turning Red?
1: Were you used <laughs> to be a, a Chinese person? person? They're
3: not doing kung fu. They're jet
1: they just don't they like yeah, how, if you it's how it's like this happened. Yeah. If your if your childhood wasn't brought, was it doesn't somehow include people who did like aerial wire work what is <laughs> the same what thing is as the people who are you? like
0: black panther where did you grow up in a highly technologically advanced hidden african state
1: how can you yeah, relate to that moonlight yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. and i think i think it's important then to 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 take that one step further and go, does relatability or universa- universality make a good movie? Uh, I think so much of our, of our media critique, it's so focused on, the, on this idea of relatability. And I think they get tied into a lot of the ideas of representation as well. Like, oh, this is good representation because I can relate to it. Um, where, like, really, a truly universal story is not an interesting one because you have no details, no context. no There's no nuance. Mm-hmm. It would be nothing there. It would be the most. It would be one page, and it would be you would have absolutely zero just, context with you would what's just happening. Get
0: Michael Bay's entire filmography.
2: Not even that, because even that, that no, is, it's true. It That's
0: true. Actually, it, it like, is, it
2: is a, not true. Universality what would that be, and 100 percent relatability doesn't then exist. It doesn't exist. Then woke May- up
1: and ate a food they they, they (laughs) slept
0: yeah (laughs) here's the thing i i you're absolutely right you're absolutely right kiana it's we're not looking for relatability right because people are critiquing turning red based on its relatability and not the other aspects of it. It's storytelling, it's animation, hundred <laughs> percent, right? It's the voice acting, the production, the art style, the, the, the color palette. Honestly, I thought that while I don't agree with all of it, I thought that, you know, Accented Cinema's review of Turning Red was a really good one. It's a great review. It's not a glowing review like we're giving it. But there are very valid reasons for it. But people are not analyzing Turning Red for the same reasons that Accent and Cinema is. People are saying, it's not relatable. And you told me this was a kid's movie, but it's talking about puberty. This is not a movie for kids. And that's the thing that I want to dive into, right, that we started to bring up. And it's that the things like the themes, the puberty themes should never be in a Pixar movie.
2: It's, yeah so a, so you know like as a person who went through puberty obviously and who went through and had menstruation like and periods like i was 12 when I had my first period, like I was younger than May was. I was younger than a good proportion of this audience. And the same age is a good, we're just like, and my parents made a very good effort to make that a positive experience. Very much how, how Ming tried to make it like a positive experience. I was very well prepped for it. So like, it, it was just <laughs> kind of like, a, oh shit, it's here. Okay, cool. Um, but, it's happening. But that was <laughs> a happening. lot of work that my family had to do to do that because that's not built into our culture. Um, and it's just wild to me that people think, and, and of course, this is all based on of a puritanical culture uh, and all this stuff where like pubert- puberty and periods equals sexual maturation, which is the weirdest fucking thing ever, <laughs> that's ever existed as a as a jump. Um, and it's just, it's so like important to have a movie that was just like, yeah, this, this person has going to have a period at some point they have a family who's actually supportive and like prepared to help you with that like great i don't know how you could have a more easy way to talk about this topic yeah. if you didn't want to be someone who's like so let me sit down and talk to you about here like the- <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
3: it just provides like like how we also can see like turning red opens up the conversations in terms of what generational trauma is and could potentially lead to the path of healing turning red also opens up the conversation to like hey mom what's a period okay sweetie, i'm gonna sit you down and explain what this is whether regardless of whatever gender because one you can prepare your your, your uh, like daughter for what is to come and you know prepare him for that two if a boy asks like holy fuck, we have a potential now for a generation of boys who, if I stick a tampon in their face, they're not going to treat it like they're a demon reacting to a fucking crucifix. <laughs> yeah, it's,
2: it,
0: it's, it is a lesson in empathy, right? Yeah, not, exactly. Not, yeah, for like, you know, um, for for what folks have to go through, like whether it be a biological thing, but also like a cultural mm-hmm. thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, a,
1: the, well, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I I mean, just tying it back a little bit to the relatability, quote unquote, aspect of it. I think good storytelling comes from the details, right? Like, it is the things that set us apart that make wanting to read more about this more, more like more of a factor in my life, like reading about the epic of Gilgamesh no one is that strong or has a cool friend who's also kind of a beast man named Enkidu and maybe spurned like a goddess. Like no one really has that experience, at least not to my knowledge. If you have lived the life of Gilgamesh at me on Twitter, but (laughs) you're going to get some people. (laughs) I mean, like, okay, better show the receipts. I want to see Enkidu. But anyway, but it's, it's those details. I think that make, this such unique and interesting movie. I mean, Inside Out, I thought was also a really fun movie because it did, featured a lot of my hometown, San Francisco in, in a lot of similar way. And I think I liked that, right? Cause it made it very interesting. and made it unique. I mean, that's what makes the rat piloting a chef like interesting. Cause it's a very unique experience. And I think that's what makes Turning Red. Awesome. It's, a really fun story from a perspective that we don't get to hear very often.
3: And a perspective that's often told that it should be, it is something, it's a perspective that's told by society It is something to be ashamed of and something that should be. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Because I mean, let's face it, society hates teenage girls. It's one of the reasons why twilight and so much of YA is considered like cringe or niche. Like even, um, even, even if you say like, Oh, I read um, I don't know, what is it, the the Mortal Engines? or Oh, yeah, a Shadow, Mortal Engines. Shadow, <laughs> Shadow and Bone. Shadow yeah. and Bone. Like, uh, Tamara Pierce, like any number of really fantastic books that just happen to be in YA, blah, 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 like people will look down on you for it. Yeah. So uh, it's it's really, I think part of this is also just the fact that teenage girls get a lot of hate. Or like yeah. literally
0: all of us talking about our love of shoujo manga like before this. Oh my I God. love shoujo manga. I love shoujo yeah. manga. It's great. Um, but, like,
3: people will definitely, like, at least back in the bidet, like, you know, with, like, the bullies in the anime club, if it's not me breaking out for Shugi Yugi uh, during break, they're like, oh, really? I'm just like, leave me alone! Let me have my girl-based
2: isekai! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's It just was so refreshing to have a Asian girl in, in media, like be cringy as fuck yeah yeah
3: it's cool to messy loud is, and weird this, this
0: like, is what we like, want in diversity this of representation exists now oh, yeah. and i
2: love it yeah it's, it's so just, cringe yes <laughs> because and this goes back to the whole thing like having to deal with the emotions like literally says the whole like everyone has a messy part of themselves Right, and it's like that's true. Everyone does have a messy part of themselves, and it's it was so nice to have a, a Chinese girl be shown as having a messy part of themselves, and like that was a good thing for her to embrace it. Like yeah. I can just imagine with this this movie, if I had watched it when I was a teenager, been like way more like, oh yeah, I can be a fucking weirdo, and it's fine, and someone I, will love I, I you was, for yeah. it. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly.
1: Yeah, we was talking about Ming's panda. He was like, it was quite destructive. But your mother, <laughs> she was incredible. And I'm like, get you, get you someone who will love you and your messy panda side, Me- your messy leave.
3: kaiju panda side. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's just, it's just so important to like have that and to, uh, because that is a message that's not just for Chinese girls, right? It's just also a message for for everyone that like being messy and true to yourself it's difficult it is a difficult thing especially if you if you live uh, a certain life that has certain traditions and everything um but being true to yourself and learning how to mesh the two together those two parts of your of yourself the many multiple fa- multifaceted parts of your life together is an important thing um and it's just yeah it's just people need to stop talking about relatability because the important thing is, is it a good story? And if we're related to it, again, like I've talked about, it's just a cherry on top. It's just another thing to put on top of it as like to enjoy that experience. But that doesn't make it a, that doesn't, that's not the entirety of the experience. The entirety of the experience is these characters. The entirety of the experience is the storytelling. (laughs) The entirety of the experience, especially with an animated film, is the artwork, is the, the craftsmanship, right? Everything about it is what made it a good experience. And then for myself, being able to relate to it, which is great. That was just another thing that just made it l- lovely to me. But I still would have gone, and I was talking to like my family about it. It's like, yeah, this movie's not relatable to everyone. That doesn't matter. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. change it has, anything about it. Doesn't
0: change anything. So, okay, I want to go through a couple of questions. And there is a topic on our agenda that we haven't covered yet. Uh, that We talked cool. about Sonia that I that I would like to address. But like I'm talking about okay. in our private chat, I honestly think it just. It it should be a part of a larger conversation. And I don't want it to be a footnote. Um now we have a couple of questions that I think we could go through pretty quickly from our patrons. First one is a really simple one that's I don't not, not a simple one. Oh ooh, caught myself <laughs> there. Uh is a very good question related to what we're talking about. And it's what is the youngest age you would suggest for a child to watch this movie?
3: Um,
2: ooh, that's a good
3: one. It's a good one. I don't know. Because like my niece is like two years old she's probably watched it
0: <laughs> I think people are gonna like it I mean the youngest ones are really gonna like it because it's got a cute red panda cute Panda, right? Big red panda. I think honestly it's <laughs> if they can understand the like the movie or just enjoy the visuals I think that's more than enough it's a movie yeah. that you can watch multiple times and get a lot of value out of it Right? Yeah,
3: I think the only thing I would have in terms of like an age restriction is if you have a kid that is a little bit more, you know, timid, Um, they might not be There's so crazy scary about bits. when the kaiju
2: bits. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they might not be super into the giant
1: giant yeah, panda cause...
2: destroying stuff. But I think generally speaking, we don't put an age restriction on most Pixar movies. It's true. Yeah. So I'm just going to say whatever you the way that you generally layer like. Maybe we don't want to have the the whole in up, for example, the scary scene of the dogs chasing the the bird and it's just like, basically shot like a horror film. Uh, like maybe <laughs> not have like, if you don't want to address that, that's fine. I don't think the topics it's themselves yeah, are really topics. an age restricted thing. Or the story itself is not an age restricted thing. It's more okay. like a it's like this scary, honestly scary scary honestly yeah, it's, it's
3: the visuals and how your child can handle it because like my niece for a very long time when she was one was terrified of the short lava because of the big boom <laughs> the there, there are there are layers <laughs> there
0: are layers to turning red that you can experience it's just like a lot of these more like these cartoons with that have some adult themes like adventure time right mm-hmm. you, you, everybody's gonna get something out of it whether it just be this yeah. cute cool thing or like this really really deep examination of childhood trauma
1: mm-hmm. um yeah so Steve, for all is the same way yes
0: yeah v- really good example
1: mm-hmm. yeah
4: i would i would say again most pixar films like if your um child is okay watching finding nemo or like inside out or like wally turning red is probably kind of the same level of appropriateness oh, there are even so, then, he says,
2: it doesn't have death in it like a fucking ton of the other Pixar movies do.
4: Right? Let's
0: first yes. of all yeah. so
2: we'll talk about the, the, the opening
0: of Up. Can we just talk about the opening of Up?
2: <laughs> I, I can't I listen have...
1: to that theme without crying. You know what's really blanking, hard? Wiping yeah. away tears underneath two layers of glasses. The glasses I normally wear for my visual and then... correction. And the 3D <laughs> glasses in the film.
0: Yep. Yep. Very difficult so,
1: getting out all the tears.
0: Uh, a quick one. Let's let's kind of go through uh, an, e- yeah. an easier one. What's your uh... uh What's your favorite Asian moment that might have gone over a mainstream audience's head, or favorite Canadian <laughs> moments? I will mine cut fruit.
4: Cut fruit. Oh, yeah. cut, cut fruit.
0: That was mine. Sure was there. Canadian ones are going to be the streetcar.
1: Yeah, doing homework on the it's streetcar. It's so weird to me when I just saw when my friends just like by. I go to their home and they just bite into fruit, and I'm like, you don't just you don't cut your fruit like I still (laughs) cut my fruit like like I get I get like apples from the farmer's market and I will cut them (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then I will bring them out for us to eat oh man I think
3: for me like favorite Asian thing is just the love that goes into creating the food because like I guess like for my family and like a lot of Asian families the way sometimes we don't say I love you out loud but the way we do say I love you for certain is by feeding well, each you other. You know how how
0: what they say about Chinese people is like, you know how they say I love you is have you eaten?
3: Have you eaten yet? Have yeah. you you eaten? Are you hungry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have, oh, you, what,
1: have you eaten what? rice?
4: Have you eaten oh, rice? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> have you eaten <laughs>
3: Sorry. rice? Sorry. Okay,
1: that's I'm that's almost, generational trauma for me. I, I will say, okay, there's one very specifically Asian thing that I loved. So Jin wears um these sandals, the sandals and they're is, black yeah. with like this white stripe yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like an Adidas knockoff and all of my male relatives wore those sandals yeah.
0: i got to rewatch like, for all that those sandals. sandals
1: yeah so i was like this is also a, like a deep cut the couch that they sit so on was like, also a, like, a deep cut like can- uh, the couch the, couch is like, <laughs> the, couch, the furniture couch. A, a
0: super super canadian in toronto one is all of your white friends being really excited about asian food
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: I I saw. That. I was jealous. I was like, I wish people were excited about. Yeah.
2: Oh man. They <laughs> they the, the food shots were amazing. The food shots it's were so good. good. My shot dropped Again.
3: when that knife came down yeah.
2: on the veggies? I was like, oh. Yeah. yeah. So also,
1: also the moment when Jin like he comes, I was like,
2: mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then like yeah. oh. Like, yeah, it's, just, it's literally just fog on the glasses. My, glasses my, moment real. My, my dad jokingly, he said the movie got one relatable thing right for me. It's because it's the the father that's the cook of the house because he is here.
0: That is that <laughs> like, my dad. That is my dad, so too. Like,
2: You're the, the big Toronto thing for me was the Skydome, uh, particularly because it was the Skydome. Because, fun yes. fact, in 2005, uh, the name was changed for that, for that uh, uh, arena because it was Bought by or sponsored by a, a Rogers, which is a large, uh you know, tele uh, telecom company, yeah. telecom company here. So the fact that it was the Sky Dome when it was said in 2002 was just like a oh oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yep. yeah.
1: laughs> oh man. Do you remember when stadiums had like a name and it wasn't just like the brand name? Yeah, you know.
2: But yeah, yeah like, so that yeah. was that was just a unique thing. I had to literally go look up when the Sky dome turned into the Rogers wow. Center because my brain was just like, that was recent. It was not recent. No. <laughs> it was nope. twenty years ago. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's it's also like you've got the CN Tower and the Sky dome behind you, Kiana, and it's visible literally, on the
1: literally right here. Yeah, <laughs> like, with the Sailor Moon lighting and the fade ah,
3: Sailor Moon palette. Yes.
4: Now, okay, so we have a uh another question. sorry what one more thing i wanted oh, to mention go, as go far things. as like sorry, a great ask you. asian moment is okay you know the 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 montage of like all the pictures there's yeah. a picture yeah. of ming feeding uh may oh, and her like... mouth is like so open oh uh-huh. yeah so so, so, so something like... that's really funny is that <laughs> i noticed that a lot of white families not all of them but a lot of them will be like open the mouth and like they're talking to the kid as like they're like putting a spoon in their face but Asian parents all just like open their mouths as wide as possible. And at some point, the baby will just mimic it. And you're like, there you go. Put that food yeah, in there. <laughs>
0: like, like a baby bird.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> His mouth is so big. So it's just big. a perfect circle. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. perfect. Also so I, I'm like,
4: yeah. Uh, I've had cousins that like, I'm like, how did your mouth open that big? I know, because you're hungry.
3: <laughs> Unhinged jaw. Yeah. It's like, Give me.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, we have. Um, You have another question and then I'd love to kind of, uh, dive in. We'll have time to kind of dive into Sonia's thing, at least to start, um, was, um, there was a question by a new patron, actually, um, Amanda comment. Um, how would the situation change if may the protagonist or one of her friends were, were queer? Um, that's a really interesting question, because you're also looking at um, Toronto, which is like culturally very different than other parts of like traditionally America, where a lot of Pixar movies are set, right? Um, But you're also looking at a Chinese family. Um, And that's actually a really interesting question. I I looked at it and I didn't give it much thought. And I said, you know, we'll bring it up and we'll have an answer. Um, For me, I honestly think with the way that they told the story it would have just been part of it honestly i feel like it would have been that scene from stranger things um season three season three at the end of season three of stranger things um i think because of the storytelling style with the way that you know the characters were portrayed and the way that like toronto's diversity is captured in this movie i really don't think that it would have changed too much of the movie because the if may was a a queer character i think her parents would have accepted her for that because the other things Mm -hmm. that she's doing to try to be a good daughter
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, oh, speaking of, like, queer narratives, and one part that also it made me personally cry because I saw a bit of myself in it was that part where May's mom has gone through the portal and she's asking, it's like, May, are you sure you want to do this? And May confesses to her, it's like, I'm becoming more of myself, but I'm scared that's going to take me away from you. And me, having recently come out to my parents as bisexual several years ago, and my... Well, not several years ago, it was the beginning of the pandemic, actually. Um, uh, Having finally realized, like, oh, shit, no, no, I'm bi, I'm bi. (laughs) After, you know, years of compulsory heterosexuality and whatnot, and unpacking that, um, my parents have always been very, very open and very, very loving and very supportive of the, the queer community. We have many people in our family that are queer. Many of my mom's friends are queer and whatnot. And it was always that thing in my head of, like, my parents are willing to accept everybody else. What if their daughter being bi is the breaking point? And so when I heard that line where it was like, I'm becoming more of who I am, I'm scared that's going to take you away from me. Like, I wanted to start crying because that was like me and my experience with my mom where I was just like, I'm becoming more of me. But what if this is the thing that finally takes you away from me after we've done so much work to heal and whatnot? And yeah, I agree with Daniel that if they, if one of the girls was queer or if May was was queer, I think, you know, it the
0: I don't think it would have, I don't, it would have I don't think it would have changed the friend group dynamic at no, all. No, I don't think it. I don't think, it, so. I don't think right. it would have changed the message at all. In fact, mm-hmm. honestly, if they had done it, I think it would have made the movie even more interesting and like even mm-hmm. better. Um But I look forward to, you know, Pixar doing a ton of shorts about all the characters. Because oh you know I'm they're gonna do you stories. know they're gonna do shorts yeah. about the about the friend I, group.
1: So, so one thing I did get back so i've been doing a series of watercolor sailor like four town stands um uh, on my on my twitter if you can see them i'm just doing a sailor moon version they're, of really, the good. they're, oh, really, cute. they're really good oh thank you um so everyone uh, so i did get a comment on like so you're gonna do miriam next and i'm like yeah of course i'm gonna do miriam and somebody said pink and blue right and i'm like she wears green and they said oh well she's apparently like the trans community has apparently adopted Miriam. <laughs> and so I I was like Oh, that's cool. That's that's awesome. And I'm like I could totally make a little button of that, but I also thought like when you were talking about this, I remember um the representation of uh of the diabetes representation yes. in Turning mm-hmm. Red. And just how like offhand it was just like yeah it's just just there it's just there it's just there and i kind of feel like that might be a thing like what if miriam was going through hrt what if she was a trans girl like what if she's going through hrt maybe we just see her with some pills like it's just like a matter of fact thing again that's why i
0: think it wouldn't have been a a huge issue because i think the way they told the story with the way the characters interact with one another it would have just been part of their world right
2: yeah yeah and 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 i think a lot of with, so if we're talking about how it changes things uh we have definitely seen some movies in the past that have been like that talk about um you know intergenerational trauma and poc stories that have been kind of co-opted in some way by by queer readings of it i think mm-hmm. it was in kanto that was this recently where yeah, it's like, is a big one yeah where it's just like clearly the story about being queer when it wasn't a story about being queer. It could have been an element, like uh, people can read that as subtext. So that's totally fine. Um, but it's that wasn't what the story was about, pretty intentionally, right? The story was intentionally about intergenerational trauma and familial love and stuff like that. And I think here in the same, it it's a little different in what this question is asking, right? Like if if queerness was an element here, I think that it would have it wouldn't have changed anything. The framework of the story works really well. Either way, um, but if you were to say the story is just about subtextual queerness, that would be incorrect. I think yeah. that's I think that's the right thing to kind of approach it as is like if queerness is part of it. And I think subtextually there was a lot of stuff in Turning Red that could be read. Um, and I think there's also some some elements of like you know uh, outside of canon, where you know outside of the movie confirmation about queerness. Uh, but I think it's I think it's important to say that like. It just would have been another element if it was put in. Um, but if not, like, that's also fine. <laughs> I think yeah. the the story doesn't really change either way. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah. It's
1: centered very strongly on one theme. Yes. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's where this is, like, an ongoing thing. But talking about intersectionality and the nuances of it yeah. becomes ever more important. Mm-hmm. So it is totally valid to, like, have this queer reading of the movie. But to like you said, kind of like co-opt the message and try to, you know, force certain narratives and things like that, that the directors didn't intend though valid has limitations and you have to be really careful because you might unintentionally be silencing the stories of people who, you know, are more closely aligned with the director's intent. Now, of course, I'm a big fan of killing all of your artists, uh, killing all your authors, but (laughs) at the same time, there is, there is validity in talking about the context of how these things get created.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, and, and I mean, there. I think one thing that is, you know, worth discussing, I mean, we're talking about how amazing, you know, Turning Red is and the lessons that are being told here. And I, I even mentioned the the sort of the diversity that is being shown in Toronto. But there is a very valid point that you, Sonia, made about the film, and it is a very valid critique. I mean, we talked off air about like a potential contextual reason why. But I really think it's it's worth bringing up what you talked about because it is a totally valid critique that honestly I didn't even notice until I saw your um, saw your post and I was
3: my essay your essay and I was I was honestly too busy (laughs)
0: crying over the movie but um, it's a really (laughs) valid point and I and I'd love to make sure that we have time to talk about it.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, so for those of uh, the viewers and listeners that are not in the discord, um, during, uh, the past, I think week or two ago, um, the subject of people were bringing up the issue of cultural appropriation, specifically black cultural appropriation coming up in the film. And, um, people were start talking about that. And I was like, Hey, I, I got something to say seven in the morning. Let me wake up. <laughs> and, um, basically, so, um, I'm basically, if you've been in our discords, I'm literally just going to be reading what I wrote because it's there, <laughs> but uh, let's get into it. So in terms of the subject of turning red and appropriation of specifically black culture, um, a lot of people have been critiquing like the girls are appropriating black culture. You see it as a constant through line throughout the movie. And this is a, sub, this is a valid critique that I agree with a whole lot. Turning red is an incredibly accurate Accurate, accurate, accurate window into what it was like growing up as a kid in like 2003 during like the boy band craze, because like it's it's a period piece. Yes, that is the pun I am making, <laughs> but it's so accurate down to the appropriation of black culture. And many of the arguments that people are bringing up is that in this movie, black culture is ever present in the way that the girls talk, the music that they listen to, the dancing. But there are no Black characters in the core cast. The only two Black characters that have major speaking roles within their side character status are Tyler, who is Blasian, canonically Blasian, but he is largely a bully and an aggressor for the largest chunk of the movie. And Robert, who is the beautiful, desirable, hyper-successful leader of Fordtown There's no in-between... Uh, in terms of like other, you know, characters and characteristics that um, black characters can fall into. All the rest of the black characters are background characters that you that don't have speaking lines. So all the black characters are almost treated as like set dressing while black culture is running throughout the entire movie. So we have the issue of black culture being appropriated without the presence of black people in a major role. And someone could argue that, oh, the girls are imitating Town and that's just what it was like back in the day. You are absolutely correct it is still a form of appropriation in that there is a picking and choosing of what is cool and the things that we like that Black people do, but then remove Black people from the picture. And it get, it's not an intentional thing that the girls are doing with any sort of malice. It gets into this weird, the even deeper commodification of Blackness within pop culture, within pop music of the era. And it's not something that's just for that era or current it's been we've been doing this since way back in the day like sister rosetta thorpe and chuck berry basically invented rock and roll but most people think it all uh, elvis did it until he popularized it we're doing it now from the kardashians the TikTok, to K-pop. tiktok dances tiktok dances oh my god if black people went on strike with tiktok dances white people wouldn't have nothing to copy <laughs> um, or like we're still having ar- like this argument that people are saying oh this is internet slang. This is just Gen Z talk. But in actuality, it's just appropriated AVE. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that solution is to replace one of the girls with a black girl because that's not doing anybody any favors. Removing one form of representation to swap it out for another does nobody any favors. Um, some people have said, like, maybe adding a black girl to the maze friend group might have helped, but also people have pointed out that if they were the black girl and May's friend just, group, you, when they were acting like that, they would, you've tokenized them. You, you, you've tokenized them. And also like, it's really weird to have your culture appropriated when like, and they're like suddenly talking like you all of a sudden. And now it's cool when you probably know for a fact that a couple of years ago, they were making fun of you for the funny way you talked.
0: That's <laughs> the, the solution, this, this is, this is fiction. The solution yeah. would be to just not emulate that part of the early 2000s.
3: Yeah. Um, and then, like, also just another issue in terms of the, the uh, fact that Ave and Black culture is seen as a way to emphasize how quirky and odd the girls are to comedic effect, which I don't really need to get into it about how the negative connotations that has for Black folks and whatnot. And, like, um, even the parts where May's mom looks at Four Town and the dances that they're doing, and they're just like, Ugh! and then Abby's mom even calls Four Town stripping music while... Accurate of how like you know moms can view their kids' music and can be just seen as like as of uh, like oh parents just to understand it can also be read as ooh black slash black influenced music is scary and I don't like that and it's not to say that the creators and Domi did this with intentional malice absolutely not but they're drawing from their childhood experiences and they fucking nailed it down to some of the stuff that we as adults were like mm, maybe we shouldn't have done yeah. that. <laughs> But it, the movie is still amazing. I adore this movie, but that aspect is a bit is a blind spot and whatnot. Yeah, um, and I will get off my soapbox now. Well, <laughs> I mean,
0: it's it's definitely something we should talk about in that future episode that you've already agreed to be on after a DM2. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was in
1: the chat. I was waiting.
0: Yeah, you can't back out now. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, no, I think it, it's something that I mean deserves its own episode, right? This this intersection of you know Asian and Black stories. Uh, the Asian and Black communities, right? Um, and how we have let each other down and how we can lift each other up, I think is a whole episode. Um, you're absolutely- Th-
1: That's that's incredibly deep. Like we would have to go into the LA riots. LA, oh, my oh my God, God. LA we gotta go. Oh Oh yeah. shit. Mean, we would have, we have to, to go to that,
0: talk about like literally like Grindhouse Kung Fu cinema. Like there is so yes. much to talk about there um, mm-hmm. that it of course has to be multiple episodes um but we are going to make that happen uh i'm you know we 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 kind of started running out of time but i wanted to make sure that your very valid criticism of the movie was brought up because it's true like this movie isn't perfect and like we said with like when we did our shang chi episode it's like turning red cannot be where we peak it is just another step Towards even better representation in media, right? And just because we really like something does not mean we can shield it from criticism. Exactly. And does not mean it is immune to criticism. Right. So I think it's really important for us to, you know, acknowledge those things. So when parents, like we're talking about parents watching this with their kids, are having these conversations about the movie, this is just another conversation that can happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Um that said, you know, um, I am very, very grateful that the five of us have gotten together to talk about this film. I think it is very important. I hope that it inspires so many, so many people to have these tough conversations, but also I hope it inspires other creatives to be like, oh, I can be like Domishi and I can tell my story. <laughs> like, I want to see more of this, not just Chinese stories right like i want disney and pixar to do more of this right oh,
3: if you haven't seen the um the making of documentary on disney plus i highly recommend it i <laughs> of
0: was going to watch Romans. it but every time I think about Tver, I get a little emotional, and I'm like, i kind of like, I a simmer a bit because I'm
2: I'm I'm never going to get over the uh, the name board, the potential names. Oh, of all, notorious of RPG, we could have had that. Yeah, my neighbor, right. Red Panda Girl. Wow, yeah. my, neighbor, or my Toronto. neighbor Toronto. My neighbor, my neighbor
3: Toronto.
1: Toronto is amazing. Oh, that's a yeah. shirt. The Ghibli, <laughs> the Ghibli film, the Ghibli film influences. Yeah, we should also. It's just there's so much. I mean, you're right. There's so much to talk about. I. I love like unlike like say other other Disney movies like I love the specificity of this. This is great. I want to see more. Yeah, clearly money is there. Give it to me. Honestly, i <laughs> yeah.
0: I this is this is From why it's going to be super important to like support this movie. I know people would have gone out in droves to watch it in theaters, um, but like stream this movie on Disney Plus. Don't legally stream it. Um, watch this movie buy the by the merch like it's important to show like Michelle did. <laughs> not sponsored um we have not taken that disney money um
1: no mouse money for here <laughs> no mouse
0: money for here because you know we we want to kind of control the content that we make and uh, we are able to control the content we make uh, because of the support of our amazing patrons um we have a lot of people to thank because look, this is um, running Asians represent is hard, and having these conversations is difficult, and maintaining our our Discord community and making sure it's a you know it's a safe and growing space um, is tough. And you know we're able to do things like continue to produce this content, get new mics, not have to take on sponsors to do it, like we were talking about, Steve, uh, because of our amazing patrons. Um, we have a lot of people to thank and I'm, soon I'm going to have to fix this graphic to make it a, a little bit more to, to create more space and I wanna I want to thank so many people, you know, our Guardians of the Realm, uh, Brooke Bright, Pixel Grotto, Jeremy, who I believe has a new article on D&D Beyond soon about the new um, D&D book, which I am super hyped for also because Pam, yes. um, the yeah. the the overseer, the founder of our Discord server wrote an adventure in the upcoming D book and i am very excited to do an episode on that super excited to do an episode on that because i think it is like we need to show people that this is uh this is the kind of content that needs to be supported um also so daisy may arjun justin uh, Wa Yan, and of course, Sunlit Music. Thank you for your support. And thank you to our most honorable patrons. Now, I know my partner is actually watching this stream. So I was texting <laughs> and I was like, Marla soon, please. <laughs> Marla time. Um, because we give,
2: the, give you, the Marla.
0: Bring Marla, please. I
2: actually get to see
3: Marla, like, as it happens, my, the, my, I, the yeah. one person in chat going, Marla. <laughs>
0: yeah. So we're talking about like Red Pandas. Well, we've got Big Marla. Um, <laughs> big then, Marla.
1: You know, I, Marla.
4: I um, ran the numbers and I did calculate Marla is a kaiju. So Marla just sh- like- <laughs> straight
0: up is a kaiju. Um, <laughs> I, I I literally shared a picture of Marla uh, Slack, uh, on Slack at work, and the senior manager of my department was like, "Can you send additional photos for scale?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Put a um, banana. Put she, a banana pick. for scale. Yeah. <laughs> Just the first mad. time so, I yeah, the first time I went over to Daniel's place. <laughs> I've met Marla. I the first time I went over to Daniel's place, um, I I didn't see Marla at first because she was off hiding. And then we were in the middle of recording, and I just feel something nudge my bag, and I look down, and it's just It's a raccoon. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> so I like, orb. Just and I was just... like, Oh, oh no, I love her. Yep. She was trying so hard I... to get into my bag. Yep. she was just like, Hey, Hey, you got you got something here for me? I'm like, I, I do not. I just have love. I, Agatha
0: Agatha brings treats.
2: <laughs> That's why. I thought you were gonna say that
1: you couldn't see Marla because everything was Marla. She
2: was so <laughs> no, she was hiding and then she came out and she was just like, Oh, hello. So you Person know so you bag. know who
0: Marla doesn't hide for. Our most honorable patrons. Marla, come on. Marla, Marla, please. Coming to frame Marla. Um, Marla So Marla, you have to thank the most honorable Metal Weave games, valorous games Dungeon glitch Matt <laughs> most honorable times to epic impulse Name X really and uh, Amanda Comet can we get a little squeak Marla? Please? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, kind of it' was kind of there. Marla, you want to say bye to everyone? Hold her a little there high.
4: we
0: go. Little uh, say, say bye to everyone, Marla. Marla, I love you. Okay, okay, she's squeaking now. She's upset. She's, oh, she's, oh. There we go.
2: Angie Orb. Yeah. <laughs> the so angry. She, is,
0: she is the moon. Um, <laughs> but that said, I want to. Oh, hey, <laughs> I just, wasn't expecting that. Um,
2: father, father, please. <laughs> um,
0: I want to thank you know. Steve as usual for joining me on our two-year twitch anniversary and Sonia Kiana and Michelle for just being here with us for this you know special day special anniversary to talk about Woo! this special movie and of course thank you for being vulnerable thank you for being open and thank you audience for listening watching this was a tough episode but I think at the the end we kind of have come to the conclusion that yes this is a Chinese Canadian story set in a very specific Canadian city (laughs) but it is a story of universal themes it's a story about having conversations tough conversations with your parents about trauma and their trauma it's about being true to yourself and how that's difficult and of course come to that understanding that you know your parents are human beings too and they are flawed and that is okay. And in acknowledging this and acknowledging the sort of complex relationships that we have with our families and our friends too, because again, found family is just as valid family, right? You know, you could come to a more sort of positive and happy future for yourself and your community. Um that's it. I just want to thank everyone for for joining us for our 2 year twitch anniversary our 51st episode of Asians represent um we hope to see you folks again soon or we hope that you folks tune into us in your ears soon um that said take care everyone um
2: happy 2 year anniversary,
3: happy two-year anniversary. Happy two-year anniversary. <laughs>